following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Let's start a little bit uh, differently this morning. Let me pray before we do anything else. Father, you have granted us so many blessings, so many things we just don't deserve. We're here because of your grace and mercy, because of your love toward us. As our choir just sang, everything you went through on the cross was for a debt that we owe. You stood in our place, you carried our burdens and you died in our our place for our sins for things we've done for who we are and we receive your righteousness by grace through faith in Christ if we will repent from our sins and will turn away from them and turn toward you and believe in Christ and follow him our lives will be transformed. They'll be completely changed. And that's a big deal. So God, I pray in the next few moments we share together, I pray that You'll be honored through Your Word, that You will speak to us by Your Spirit and help us to know and experience the love of Christ through which we are forgiven and granted eternal life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The short letter of Paul to Philemon. It's funny to say we're halfway through because we just started last week. But uh, it's only a 25 verse letter. It's very brief, but it's very profound. So as you find your spot there in Philemon, I was thinking about a conversation that I have nearly every week. Be nice, he said. Excuse me? He said, try to be nice this week. Now let me just think about that for a minute. Are you all being nice today? Have you been nice this past week? Now why why are there not more nods of affirmation right now? Have you all been mean? Have you been unkind to some people? What about this week coming that begins today? Are you going to be nice this week? I mean, I don't. There's not a lot of confidence in the facial expressions I'm seeing. Just want you to know, the folks watching by live stream cannot see what I'm seeing right now. And I didn't think it was that complex of a question. Are you going to be nice or not? All right. So, why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a challenge to be nice? 
I think it would be, I'll just speak for myself, I think it would be far easier to blame other people for me not being nice. That would be much easier, uh, much less convicting. Well, I could be nice if it wasn't for all these people out here. You know, I woke up being nice. But then, you know, I left the house. And there's people everywhere. And I couldn't be nice anymore. Right? That's, can I get a witness? Y'all all right? You, you understand what I'm saying? It, there's people everywhere. It's not easy to be nice. And so it would be great for me to just say, well, if it wasn't for all these people then I'd be nice. But that's not true, is it? You know why I'm not nice sometimes? It's because I'm a sinner. It's because I have a, a heart in me that's, that's dark. That's naturally inclined to not be nice. That means when I wake up, if I am left to myself apart from Christ, then it's almost a foregone conclusion that at some point, sooner rather than later, I'm not going to be nice. And it, it doesn't have a thing in the world to do with anybody else on this earth. Because I could, I could be by myself and not be nice. And, and so could you. So, what, where, where does that put us? Where does, where does that put us? We have, to, we have to work hard to be nice. And unfortunately, that work is impossible apart from Jesus. So so please hear me when I say we're going through this little little letter in the New Testament about a very specific situation from Paul to Philemon to a small church meeting in his home. And at the root of this conversation is the principle of forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you something you already know. Not only can we not be nice, we're never going to forgive anybody for anything without Jesus. And no one is going to forgive us for anything we've done without Jesus. And even when we are following Jesus as hard as we can, Forgiveness, kindness, they're still so challenging. But the appeal to us today in Scripture is let's consider not what we have a right to do or a right to say. What would love have us do? What would love have us say? What would Jesus have us do? What would Jesus have us say in these difficult 
circumstances. Philemon, I would say chapter 1, but there is only chapter 1. So verse 8. You follow along with me on the screen. Here's what Paul was inspired to write by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I've sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wished to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now this central part of this short letter is the majority of an appeal that Paul is making to Philemon. If you remember last week, the, the introduction of the letter that is pretty customary the way Paul writes uh, he identifies himself, maybe someone who's with him, and he's writing, and he identifies his audience. I'm writing to this person or these people or this church in this area, and then he says something like, "Usually, grace and peace to you, or God, you know, grace, mercy, and 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 he from our Lord Jesus." And he introduces his letter in that way. So you've got Paul, who's in prison. He's writing to Philemon, and his wife and Archippus who is also a fellow soldier he's writing to the the church that meets in Philemon's home and there's a situation there's a conflict and I know that may be difficult for us to understand that there could how could there possibly ever be a conflict in the church right that never happens people would never disagree on anything well, here we have an instance where there has been a problem of some sort involving this bondservant named Onesimus. And he left, he, ran, he, kind of, he, he fled the area around Colossae where, where this letter is being sent to. And he's found his way to where Paul is imprisoned. And so important things to know about, we'll see this as we go through this, this section of the Scriptures, but Onesimus, who is the subject of the letter, 
he got over there to where Paul was, and you know how Paul does things when it doesn't matter if he's in prison, if he's in the street, if he's in the church, or if he's in somebody's house. What's he probably going to be doing? He's preaching the gospel. He's talking about Jesus. He's trying to show people their need for forgiveness and salvation in Christ. And so he was doing that. And this gentleman, this wayward bondservant, Onesimus, heard the gospel from Paul. He got saved. And so now he's staying there, hanging out. Paul was kind of like, I say he's in prison, and he, he is technically kind of like a house arrest type of situation. So he did have a little bit of movement within the place where he was being held captive. He could have visitors, and he did. But uh, Onesimus now is hanging out there, and he wants to hear more. He wants to learn. And he's in the meantime, as he's hearing and learning and being fed the Word from Paul, he's also serving. He's helping Paul, trying to, you know, can I do anything for you? Is there anything you need? You know, there's a small group of folks there, and he's part of that. But his situation back home was not so good. Because there was a conflict. So Paul is making an appeal here. Hey, let's resolve this conflict the way God says to do it. Not the way we feel like doing it. In other words, it's as if Paul is writing to Philemon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's almost as if he's saying, in a much more eloquent way, be nice. Be kind. Show love. Extend forgiveness. Be gracious and merciful. It's almost as if, and I know this is a radical idea, it's almost as if Paul is encouraging Philemon to live like Jesus. Shocking, right? Because you know Philemon was also saved by hearing Paul preach the Gospel. And now there's a conflict between someone else who has also gotten saved by hearing Paul preach the Gospel. And I'll just, I hate to, spoiler alert, you know, I hate to, to say that, I will say this later, but I want, I want this to marinate in your minds and hearts the rest of the way here when we talk about these next few little things. And here it is. If you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian, and we're both following Jesus, and we happen to disagree on something, there is, there is no reason under heaven that the two of us can't sit down with an open Bible and open hearts and honor Jesus and resolve whatever disagreement we have in a kind and loving biblical way. There's no reason why that can't happen if we're both following Jesus. There is no scenario that exists on this earth where two believers in Jesus should ever 
have a conflict that can't be resolved under Christ. That, that, should, that should never happen. And the fact that it does and has and will is just more and more evidence how desperately we need Jesus. And you want to know why the church in so many places at so many times is anemic, almost ineffective in its influence. It's because we can't seem to live like Jesus. And we can't seem to resolve our issues like Jesus would have us do it. We, we, we give in too easily and, and act like the world. And, and we have so many things and resources and, and direct, so much direction to lead us otherwise. But it's, it's not easy to be nice. Ever. So let me just point out a few things in this text. I'm I, uh, kind of out on a limb here because uh, I've got my Bible, which I have to have. I've got my notes here, which I like to have. I don't have anything up here that's got the time on it. So I was like, oh, hallelujah! There's no clock anywhere in my sight. Everybody else in the... In the church is, you know, worried, but sorry. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. All right, so let, let's just walk through this. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to tell you something about the section of Scripture, and then the points that you're going to see on the screen are not the points that I'm going to tell you. They're the points of application. Okay, so, so I'm going to say some things, and then at the end of each point i'm going to point i'm going to say all right here's how here's what we can learn from that okay that'll make sense hopefully more as we go so the first thing we see in verses 8 through 10 is the paul's right to speak he feels like he's confident his authority as an apostle as a missionary as a preacher he says i ha- i think i have the right to say what i'm about to say in fact i have the right to tell you you need to do this but he said i don't want to do that i don't want to do that even though he's confident in his position, he would rather make an appeal than try to flex some spiritual muscle. He's acting out of love. He's older now. He's more mature in the faith. He's also been imprisoned. N.T. Wright says this, No Christian should ever grumble at extra demands of love. That shouldn't be a problem for a Christian to show love. So Paul appeals for his child in the faith. I told you Onesimus was saved through Paul's preaching. He heard the gospel while Paul was captive under house arrest. So here's our application. If Paul has a right to speak, but he doesn't assert that right, he feels confident he could. I I, I could tell you what you need to do, but I'm not going to do that. So here's our application. Number one, choose to do what's right. Choose to do what's right. Don't be forced to do what's right. Don't do what's right begrudgingly. Choose to do what's right. If you're going to follow Jesus, choose to do what's right. Paul says in more than one place, I shouldn't have to make you do this. So he has the right to speak. Then the second thing we see is the new life in Christ that Onesimus has now. 
And, and perhaps Philemon and the church there, maybe they were unaware of what happened. Maybe they didn't know he got saved. But the new life in Christ, when you look at verses 11 and 12, Paul calls Onesimus useless. You see that? Verse 11, he was formerly useless to you, Philemon. He was useless to the... You know why? He didn't, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. If, you're, if, you, if you don't know Jesus, it's hard to be um, productive for the church when you're not walking with Jesus. Right? So he said he was useless. Formerly, he was useless to you. But after he got saved, Paul's description has now changed. He says now he's useful to the church and to me. Guess what? Side note. You know what Onesimus means the name Onesimus? It means useful, beneficial. So now he's fulfilling his namesake. He's, he's living out what he's called. So Paul has sent this brother back to the church as an expression or an extension of his own heart. In other words, he's proving that he's acting out of love he didn't want to send him back. He said he's done. He's got saved now. He's he's serving Jesus. He is useful for the kingdom. I I want him here, but he says because I love you, church. Because I love you, I'm sending him back to you. Because now he's useful. Because he's following Jesus. The word here. This is a a common thing in the New Testament and in the Scripture in general. The word where, where we often see the word heart in English, if you were to literally translate that word, it's really um, inward parts. Like your, your internal... Or, and, and here's what I mean by that. The, the, the Greek language, the way they try to describe something that just was from deep inside you, it just like the seat of all your emotions, everything about you, we would call it... You know, we say, with all my heart. You know, so that, that's the way we express that. In this language, the, the inward parts. It's like, I love you with both of my kidneys. You know, it doesn't sound as good as with all my heart, right? You know, my liver, or you know, the heart sounds better. We've come, become accustomed to that. But this word heart, it ties together this whole letter. Let me, let me point that out to you. You remember in verse 7 last week? Paul said that uh, their hearts had been refreshed. Comfort, I have comfort in your love, joy in your love. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed. That's the same word. And then here, I've sent you my very heart. Same word. And then later on, in verse 20 next week, Paul's going to ask Philemon, refresh my heart. It's the same word. It's talking about all of who you are. It's a, it's a very um, strong word. So what's our application? For us, embrace new life in Christ. Embrace new life in Christ. The difference it makes is dramatic. Paul said before Onesimus got saved, he was useless. Now he's very useful, beneficial even to the church and to me. Embrace new life in Christ. Number three, 
Paul has sent him back, right? So he's going to be reconciled to the body. He's going to be reconciled to the church. Verses 13 and 14. And Paul says very clearly, I would have rather had him stay. I would prefer for him to stay with me. He could have ministered to me during my imprisonment for the Gospel. He would have been serving me, Paul says, on behalf of Philemon and the church. So it's almost as if had he stayed, Paul would credit Philemon and that church. Thank you for lending me your brother. He's, he's been such a benefit to me. He's so helpful serving the Lord with me. Uh, and he would credit the church for that. But instead, he wanted Philemon's consent before deciding what to do. He says this, when you read verse 14, without your consent, I didn't want to do anything. So you see how this love is just covering everything he does? Paul started out this section by saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm not just any old apostle. You know, we look at Paul, at least I do. You know, it's a common perspective. You look at Paul and you think, my goodness, the man was used to start all these churches. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I mean, he's a, a spiritual giant. You know, we, we have a way of, of looking at him that way, I think. And yet he says, I, I could flex my spiritual muscle here, but I want your consent. Because here's a principle. Goodness is not all that good when it's forced. But goodness done out of your own free will is really good. If you tell me to do something and I do it, that's not bad. But if I, I do it and you hadn't told me to do it, that's better, right? Then it's more, it's more good, right? And, but that's harder. It's harder. It's easy to respond but to be proactive in your love and your goodness is another story. So Paul here, this is the nature of Paul's authority in the church. In being in Christ, it's like a, a healing responsibility. So he sets out the facts of the case. That's what he's kind of told Philemon, here's what's going on, here's what's happened, but I want you to make your decision. I could tell you what you need to do, but I'd rather you come to this... In other words... Let me tell you all the facts and you draw your own conclusions. I'm going to give you the opportunity to draw the right conclusion instead of telling you the answer ahead of time. Here's what you need to do. Here, here's what's happening. Now, what do you think, what do you think Christ would have you do? And, and then give you an opportunity to arrive. You know, it's, it's, when you have your own idea, it's a lot better for you, right? If somebody gives you the idea and it's not yours, you might eventually come around to it, but it's not as good as one you came up with yourself, right? So when you draw your own conclusions and there's unity there. So the third point of application for us is live a Christ-centered life. Live a Christ-centered life. Take the, take the information that we've been given... And how often does the Lord do this for us? You know, He's, he's got 
all kinds of commands in His Word for us, right? There's all kinds of things that we could just read and we'd, be, we'd know what we need to do. So if, if we read it and study it and pray over it and then do what it says without having to have that constant nudge, you know, you really ought to, you really ought to read your Bible. You really ought to pray. You really ought to do what the Bible says. It's so much more fulfilling when you do that without being constantly pressed, right? Because then you feel the Holy Spirit at work in your heart, at work in your life. You know, I, I can stand up here every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and I can encourage you, you really ought to be reading your Bible. You really ought to be praying. You really ought to be telling people about Jesus. But I can't make you want to. can't make you do it. But I can continually encourage you, this is what the Lord wants us to be doing. It's right here in His Word. And I can do it myself, so I can try to provide an example. I can try to lead by example and say, hey, how's your Bible reading go? I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Scriptures every day, and it's, man, it's, it's so transforming. I'm spending time in prayer, and it's, I can tell such a difference when I do and when I don't. I, I shared Jesus with two people at the Hampton Inn in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Friday. And they're working at night. Not happy about it. It's almost like a sense of relief. It's almost like a... You, you, care, you care about me? I'm not just somebody working a desk at a hotel? You're interested in where I spend eternity? What? You want to... You want to pray for me? Wow. It's life changing. And it's not just for the person you're talking to. Do you know what happens in your own heart? Anybody ever remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire? Remember that? It's, it's a little dated now. A man named Eric Little. He was a, a great runner. He was a missionary. You know? He uh, had a great talent. And uh, there was a, the, the conflict was, am I going to run on Sunday? Am I going to for, forego my convictions to compete? And do you know what he said? This is, this is one of the things that I just I remember still from, from that from that film, from that story. Eric Little said, the Lord made me fast. I can feel His pleasure when I run. You know what that means? When I'm using the gift God gave me, 
and I'm glorifying Him with it. I can, I can just sense His, his smile, his, his pleasure. I'm, I'm doing what He called me to do. I'm, I'm honoring Him with what He gave me. Do you know, forget about... Alright, that's the wrong way to say this. I almost said forget about the command, the, the Great Commission. Don't forget about the Great Commission, obviously. But for just a moment, pretend like it wasn't a command of Scripture. Do you know how you feel? Do you remember how it feels inside when you share the Gospel and you speak of Christ and you pray with and for someone and they just they almost just fall apart? Because they're overcome by the goodness of God and the, the grace of Christ and someone caring enough to speak to them and, and show compassion toward them and, and share a life-giving message and, and offer to pray, how can, how can I serve you? How can I pray for you? What are your greatest needs right now? And, and they just... All the defenses come down and, and they just they feel... They feel loved. Do you know how you feel when others feel that way? You get so blessed. You get filled up. It's almost like you're watching the glory of God. You can sense His pleasure in you because you've been obedient you've shared Christ the love of Christ with someone else so living a Christ centered life based on love and and being obedient the pastor shouldn't have to convince a follower of Jesus to live like a follower of Jesus Last thing, number four. God has a purpose in all this. No surprise. God's purpose in reconciliation in verses 15 and 16. Paul says, perhaps, maybe there was a reason why Onesimus fled. Maybe there was a, a reason beyond what we can see from an earthly perspective. Maybe there's a reason why he left uh, the church there, Philemon, and and he felt like he needed to run away because of this conflict. Because now, look what happened. He ran away. He found his way to where I am, imprisoned. I preached the Gospel. He got saved. He's now serving Christ. He's serving the Gospel ministry. by He's meeting my needs here in this prison. He's not just a slave or a bondservant anymore. He's a beloved brother in Christ. So perhaps there was a temporary separation so there could be an eternal reunion. Sometimes, I know this is also, it may be shocking to you, but did you know we don't always see what all God's doing? 
He's got plans and purposes going, and sometimes we just have no clue. We can look back and look at events that have unfolded and say, man, I never saw that until I looked. Now I see all these pieces to this puzzle just kind of coming together. I had no idea at the time that that's what God was doing. Isn't that unbelievable? Perhaps, Paul said, he was separated for a time that you'd have him back forever. Verse 15. He's a beloved brother to Paul, but he says in verse 16, much more to you. See, remember, Paul's away. He hadn't met these folks. Now he's met, uh, well, he's met Philemon, he's met Onesimus, but the church, like in Colossae, he hadn't met the church and he hadn't met some of these other folks. But he knows who they are. He knows their name. He knows their status before the Lord. And he says, now, how much more valuable, how much more precious is Onesimus to you not just in the flesh, but in the Lord, he says in verse 16. Because he's a beloved brother. He got saved. He's part of the family now. He's, when he, go, he left as a bondservant, but he's going back. It's way more than that. He'll never be just regarded as a bondservant anymore. Because he's filled with Christ. You know what's interesting? Since about the 4th century, people who have read this letter, I mean like church fathers and and scholars over the years have read this letter and they've been struck by this parallel. And, and here's what it is. Do you remember? I'll just say this briefly. you remember the story of Joseph? What his brothers did to him? And where he ended up? So they didn't like his rise to glory. You know, told him as much. And threw him in the pit, then they sold him into slavery, then he ended up in Egypt, and he ended up in Potiphar's house, then he ended up in Pharaoh's house, and interpreting dreams, and all that. And the next thing you know, after all these events, he's second in command only to Pharaoh. He interpreted the dreams. He saved the nations through seven years of famine because of his plan that God gave him to, to sustain the people, you remember? And when you get to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20... You remember what Joseph said to his brothers when they had the reunion? You meant this for evil. But God meant it for good. There was a conflict, but God had other plans. This reconciliation, this purpose of God. So, what's our application on this last point? We should prioritize eternal matters. Prioritize eternal matters. And, and here's what that looks like. I think I, should, I think I should draw this to a close. There's going to be a time when human beings disagree. There's going to be a time when Christians disagree. Right? But as I alluded to earlier, that's not a problem. It's an opportunity. When there is a disagreement between two followers of Jesus, 
that is an opportunity to show the Gospel to the whole world. How are we going to handle this? Are we going to just give in to our flesh and just, well, I'm going to tell you, you're, you know, you're wrong and this is why and you need to do this and they're pointing the finger back at you and you're arguing and your voices are rising up in your tone and, and it's animosity. Let me just let me tell you, I'm gonna, this might hurt your feelings. It hurt mine. I'm going to get a little closer. Any six-year-old can act like that. But a follower of Christ should never act like that. When we are covered with the blood of Jesus and we profess to follow Him, then as I said before, there should never, ever be a circumstance where two Christians can't sit down together with an open Bible and open hearts and find a way through any kind of disagreement and be reconciled to one another and show love to one another. It may be, hey, it might, doesn't mean you're going to necessarily see eye to eye, but that's okay. You can see things a little differently and still choose to love each other and, and honor Jesus. Because it's really all about love. And, and it's my personal conviction for my life, before I ever say this to you, this is my personal conviction for my life. I need to love more and I need to love better. And so followers of Jesus Christ need to love more and love better. And as I wrote that down, that's the last thing I wrote down. So I'm going to fold this up. I'm going to close this up. That's the last thing I wrote down to say. And you know what? Whenever I did that, it dawned on me. Do you know what the mission of our church is? It's on every bulletin has been for the last several years. You know what that says? It's real simple. If if anybody ever asks you, "Hey, what are y'all doing down there at Berlin? What 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 are y'all all about? You know, what do you what do you think you should you know What's the church doing?" This is the quick the quickest summary I know for you to tell anybody. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. It's just, I mean, it's just it's simple as that. Love God, love people, make disciples. And, and by the way, you can't make disciples if you don't love God and love people. But the common word is love. Love. Love God, love people. You want to make a statement to the world? Just love like Jesus. Because that is uncommon. Let's pray.
Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.